Hello everybody, I'm your host Hal Curtis and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by SatSearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organisations of today who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Hello and welcome to the episode. I'm joined today by Thomas Sin, CEO and founder of Deployables Cubed, or D-Cubed for short. D-Cubed is a German-based manufacturer of actuators and deployable structures for nanosats and small sats, and as well as the wider uh, commercial space industry. In today's episode, we're going to discuss some aspects of testing and qualification for deployables and other similar technologies. So, Thomas, welcome to the Space Industry Podcast today. And is there anything you'd like to add to that introduction? Thank you, Heibel. There is nothing to add. You uh, summarized it quite uh, perfectly. I'm very happy to be with you today. Right. Well, let's get into this topic of testing and qualification. Now, deployables kind of need to work first time when they're used. They're often mission critical. Can you provide an overview to, to begin with, just of what sort of testing and qualification, what do they mean in the context of deployable systems? Very good point, because you're right, deployables need to work the first time and they are often mission critical. And that's why a lot of companies or satellite builders go away from deployables because they are just afraid of them not working in space. But when we are looking into where the space industry is heading towards a new space constellation that need high-performance computers on board, we just need to have bigger structures. And then we cannot go around the use of deployable structure because the satellites are standardized. We can pack them quite nicely for launch. And when we are in space, these deployables are bigger. And this also means that uh, the reliability and the checks that we can do here on the ground need to be improved. And this specifically means how can we prove that the deployable will work in the space. And we are trying to uh, simulate all conditions that are on the way to space and in space on these uh, deployable uh, structures. So we often do a, a test as you fly approach. So we uh, start with in the stored uh, configuration where the deployable is then subjected to the launch vibration and also the shock that it will see uh, during uh, launch, normally on a, a shaker table. And then uh, when we are up in space, we'll have thermal cycles that we get through the orbits. If we go to LEO, there is one orbit every uh, 90 minutes. So we have to go through uh, thermal cycling, preferably in a thermal vacuum chamber. And then uh, most critically is the deployment that needs to work after all this uh, launch and uh, orbits. And here, ideally, we want to have it in zero gravity, but it's very hard to do here on the ground. So we need to figure out how can we do a gravity offloading system or maybe fly it on a, a parabolic flight or other methods to offload this gravity as much as possible. And the next thing is also, okay, as soon as it's uh, deployed, how will will be acting in a space environment? What will happen over the lifetime of this uh, deployable? So there's a lot of testing and analysis uh, being involved in increasing this reliability. And that's uh, what we are also working here at the Cubed to still trying to improve on how we can make it 
more accessible and also a shorter time frame and therefore also decreasing the cost for this uh, testing while still increasing the reliability. A lot of aspects that need to be, be really analyzed deeply and the nature of those analyses obviously relate to the missions that the um, deployable has to be is going to be used on. So maybe just you know to give the audience a better understanding of that, I wonder if you could provide some examples of different mission scenarios in, in the context of new space, perhaps, where deployables are emerging as a key requirement. Right now we are developing a deployable solar array for new space nanosat uh, constellation, but also it can be used for uh, small sats. And here the idea is to enable 100 watt uh, of deployed uh, power while just fitting in a one new cube satellite. The application for these are especially for uh, communication missions where we need uh, quite high power that we can then uh, transmit more data. But there's also many applications where we go for electric propulsion as we need more power there. And then also, of course, as I said before, the computers that are on these uh, small satellites are getting bigger and more advanced, so we need uh, more power there. Most of the uh, missions we are working on right now for our new space customers are actually in low Earth orbit, so between 400 and 500 kilometers. But uh, we've been also tasked with some mission, uh, not only for the deployables, but also more for the actuators going outside LEO, going to GTO, going to the moon, but also to the Lagrangian points. So there is uh, always something that we need to keep in mind that, yeah, new space right now is uh, mostly in uh, LEO. There's more and more applications that are looking uh, outside of uh, LEO. And here we need to uh, see what kind of requirements are uh, more constraining the developments that are then outside LEO. Quite a range there again. And obviously, as you've mentioned, the testing is vital for such missions. And then the different standards and the different organizations you have to work with will dictate which sort of uh, standards and qualification aspects that you need to adhere to. Now, there are various established space agency standards for testing, such as ECSS and GEVS, etc. Do you adopt these standards sort of straight away? Or you know, what other approaches do you take in using the existing standards for testing and qualification? That's a good point. We started with ECSS and NASA GFs to look or to get target where we want to go. But we realized quite early that if we would follow it completely, as it's described here, we would develop a product that is much too heavy and it would be ridiculously expensive. So we are working together with NASA and ESA to figuring out, especially for new space application, how these standards that are developed for manned mission for really these uh, one, two ton, three ton satellites that are flying to Mars and uh, flying to uh, GEO can be adapted for a new space application. Because there are some things that are undiscussable, like the uh, reliability uh, proof of our actuators. Here, we need to show that we have the reliability uh, proven in ECSS to be even considered to fly on any kind of mission. When we are looking now on the uh, deployable structure, where it's more uh, advanced uh, concept, then especially some of the ECSS design rules don't necessarily apply to them because, yeah, it would get just too complex and it would be a constraining factor. 
So here it's a learning on uh, both sides, on the uh, new space companies uh, like us, but also on the uh, agency, ESA, European Commission, how these standards could be adapted to fit a more commercial goal. Because at the end, is if we are not flying humans, we are flying small satellites, then we can clearly discuss on the uh, safety uh, factors and all the necessary testing to make it a more viable product that we can also compete here in Europe. When the, it comes to the use of the deployable systems and uh, actuators that you develop, are there any specific challenges in the you know final assembly integration and testing that need to be considered? Yeah, there are quite some challenges, but with our experience that we have over the last decade now in deployables, we got quite good in tackling them. The deployable is a quite complex structure with often many mechanisms on there. If we look at our PowerCube solar array, it's an origami folded solar array that needs to fit in with the one U box. So one of the biggest challenges is to manufacture it as much as possible in one piece. So to really reduce the assembly steps then to uh, fold it in a controlled manner into this uh, deployment box, uh, ensuring that we can always fold it the same way. So that's why we could also uh, qualify it uh, before, because we knew exactly how it was folded before, how we fold it uh, every time when we uh, build a flight model for it. And we went uh, through the uh, test campaign. But then we also need to, of course, show that it's flying uh, probably with each of the products that we are delivering because yeah, we need to show it on the ground that it uh, deploys in uh, space. And we are going here to approach for making it as simple as uh, possible. So we say if the deployable deploys under ground load, so 1G of gravity, then it will deploy for sure in uh, space. And then after this uh, deployment uh, test on ground, we need to pack it again, prepare it one last time for height. Uh, so there's a, a quite long process involved with every deployable, but we are uh, making good progress in making this uh, very standardized uh, because at the end, we want to enable uh, commercially off-the-shelf uh, mass uh, products and if we are every time spending uh, months doing these uh, deployment tests separately for each product, this is not uh, feasible. Right. Excellent. So it's really about ensuring our reliability as efficiently as you can. And I think, you know, people have, some people in the industry may have different opinions and, and uh, experience of deployable systems. And I'm sure in the discussions you have with prospective customers or current users, you come across some common misunderstandings or misconceptions. I wondered if you could uh, just discuss a few of those, you know, particularly when people are thinking about the decision-making when it comes to the use of deployables or, or integrating them into a design. That is a good question because we also face these uh, misunderstandings uh, quite often when we uh, talk to our uh, customers that are in the nano-small-start world. When we say, ah, we are developing deployables, they always say, ah, we don't need uh, deployables because they are too complex, uh, too expensive, and they don't have high enough uh, reliability because they think often of uh, like these uh, deployables that are developed at almost every university right now. 
which are more used for uh, educational uh, purposes. And then when you go a uh, level higher is when you think of these deployables that are on uh, big satellites, the big uh, solar arrays, the big antennas, there uh, many people just see this uh, huge uh, price tag uh, related with it. The thing that we are trying to do is to really deliver um, the trust back into uh, deployables that people see deployables as a, a reliable uh, means uh, to overcome uh, launch vehicle constraints. Because if we really want to have uh, a small form factor in a satellite, it is uh, possible with using uh, commercially off-the-shelf uh, electronics and computers. We also need to not limit ourselves to uh, the small form factors and we need these deployable structures in uh, space. And as we want to uh, produce them in mass production, there should be also a significant uh, decrease in price and uh, availability of these uh, deployables, delivering more trust in the whole deployable uh, concept. And we hope at uh, one point we uh, come to a conference and we say, ah, we are working on deployables and that then people don't say, ah, it's uh, too complex. We don't believe in uh, the working of deployables anymore. They say, yeah, this is the way to go. Put the deployable on our satellite. That's obviously on the um, on the technology side from your point of view. Now, it, just as a final question, I wondered how you also saw the, the mission requirements evolving for deployables over the next you know, three to five years. If you look beyond missions that are currently, you know, slated for launch, currently booked for launch, and uh, what sort of capabilities deployables can provide missions, and where um, the needs for those missions are, are coming from the commercial sector. Yeah, so we see a clear uh, need for uh, deployables, uh, especially in the area of uh, power generation, so uh, solar arrays, and then of course deployable radiators to get rid of all the heat that so much uh, power can uh, generate. Then on the other hand, it's clearly uh, deployable uh, antennas on the communication side, as well as on the Earth observation X-ray antennas. Here, uh, we also need to have a, a bigger plane than uh, that is possible with a, a satellite. And then there is uh, ideas using the orbit sails and uh, solar cells for uh, propulsion and uh, space debris uh, removal. So there's uh, quite some applications are in the pipeline for the coming years, especially for these nano and uh, small sats. When we uh, look at the uh, requirements for any of these structures, we will probably see a change from especially the lifetime of these uh, structures because uh, right now we are building uh, them that they can last for five to ten years. But if we uh, really look at how many of these new space uh, constellations are uh, planning their business, we are not talking about a mission lifetime of five or ten years, but more uh, maybe uh, one year or uh, one and a half years or even uh, shorter. The idea would be to reduce the price of the launch and also of the whole satellite that it can uh, be replaced uh, more frequently with the newest uh, technology. And with that, there is a lot of uh, testing no longer required uh, to really prove that it needs to um, survive these uh, many years in uh, space. And this would really greatly decrease the price because at the end, the uh, long time uh, testing 
is uh, what is driving the cost here of uh, deployers to make really sure that after the deployment, they stay in the um, configuration they should for the whole mission time plus X. So I think this will be uh, one of the main changes in uh, requirements. And this influences almost all the downflow uh, into many other requirements. The only other thing I would also think that more standardized uh, interfaces uh, would be uh, great to have to really make it uh, possible to have uh, commercially off-the-shelf uh, products. Right now, we are uh, offering most of our products with adaptable uh, interfaces to fit many uh, different uh, satellite provider, rocket providers, guidelines. But I think also in the future, having them more uh, standardized through the companies would greatly decrease the costs uh, as well for deployables, for mechanism, and then for the whole satellite and the service uh, as they are uh, linked to each other. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Thomas. That's a great place to wrap up. And yeah, thank you for all the insights you've shared on on testing and the use of deployable systems. Um, I think this really uh, taught the audience quite a lot about what goes into the the preparation of such technologies and uh, and the uses of them in today's missions and tomorrow's missions, of course. It was really great to speak with you. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much for the invite. I'm always uh, happy to talk to you about the uh, uh, newest uh, trends in uh, space. And I'm already looking forward to our next talk. Great, thanks. If you'd like to find out more about DQ's work and product portfolio, the links will be in, in the show notes. And you can also find out more on the satsearch.com platform. If you have any specific needs for product quotes, technical documentation, introductions to the business, or whatever else is required for your mission design, trade design, or procurement purposes, you're obviously more than welcome to use the free request system on the site too. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space Industry by SatSearch. I hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit. We'll be back soon with more in-depth, behind-the-scenes insights from private space businesses. In the meantime, you can go to satsearch.com for more information on the space industry today or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. To stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store or whichever podcast service you typically use.